Thanks for stopping by, checking out this episode of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Support for this episode comes from Sawbill Canoe Outfitters. Hi, WTIP Boundary Waters podcast listeners. Claire and Dan Shirley from Sawbill Canoe Outfitters here. Hi, everyone. We're here today to sponsor this episode, so thanks for tuning in. We wanted to take this opportunity today to say thank you to everyone who has called, written, and visited Sawbill this year. It's been a real challenge for us to operate safely during the pandemic, and we are so grateful for all the encouragement and support. Absolutely. We've done a ton of work to be able to open our business and help people have safe and successful wilderness trips this year. It's really been our focus to keep our staff and visitors safe and healthy. So whether you're a first-time tripper checking the BWCA off your bucket list or a seasoned canoe country camper, we are here to answer your questions and help get you into the wilderness. The wilderness is essential for all of us. It truly feeds the soul. We are humbled to be able to help people with that experience, especially now when respite is needed more than ever. If you've never been to Sawbill, we are a full-service canoe outfitter located on Sawbill Lake, entry point number 38. We operate a 50-site campground on site here, a general store, and our rental department. We do everything from day-trip canoe rentals to fully outfitted multi-day wilderness packages. Claire's grandparents founded Sawbill Canoe Outfitters in 1957 and has now been in her family for three generations. We are proud to carry on their legacy of conservation and wilderness stewardship. You can learn more about our history and the services we offer today on our website sawbill.com we've also maintained a blog since 1997 about life on the wilderness edge which is pretty fun to look back through you can find that as well as our online store on the website as well again that's at sawbill.com we hope everyone is staying well and finding time to enjoy the fresh summer air wherever they may be thanks and enjoy the episode this is the wtip boundary waters podcast this is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters. And it's, it was really cool, it was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars, I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Welcome to episode 31 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm here with host Joe Fredericks. Hey, I'm out here. Well, you're in the Boundary Waters. Oh, I am. You're Matthew Baxley, <laughs> the co-host, and I'm Joe Fredericks indeed, uh, and I'm not in the Boundary Waters. No, Belie- you're not. Believe it or not. Whoa. Wait. Oh, we must be on Zoom right now. <laughs> oh, wait. We're not on Zoom. We're socially distanced. You're in the Boundary Waters, we're in the same canoe. And you're outside of the Boundary Waters. And I'm outside. As I look How to... can this be? <laughs> Is this a riddle? 
<laughs> Please send us your submissions via email. <laughs> uh, so, so here we are on Homer Lake. It's a beautiful, incredibly beautiful evening. Uh, perfect summertime temps, not too hot, not too cold. Dip my hand in the water. Oh man, I could just... I, I probably will go swimming here in just a few minutes. Uh, no anchor. No anchor, and we have not moved from where we stopped stationary here off this island by the wilderness line. Homer Lake uh, is a lake, uh, like many of these entry point lakes, where if you can get right up to it, it's half in the wilderness and half out. So we're pulled up right here at the sign on this island, and, and Matthews literally, we're, we're in the, the aluminum canoe we call the Basher, a uh, 17 foot canoe, and Matthew is up in the bow, and he is. Uh, inside the wilderness line and I'm back here in the stern and, and outside. You know, Joe, as I sit here and think about the bizarre nature of what you're saying, and everybody knows this experience, there is no difference. When I look at what's behind you in the backdrop of where you are, I see white pine, I see jack pine, spruce, I see the water, the islands. What do you see behind me? Uh, pretty much the same. In fact, I turn around and the only thing that's different is that that island's a little bit closer. <laughs> right. <laughs> Otherwise, it's the same shot. It just begs a lot of really interesting questions, doesn't it, Joe? It does, and we're going to get into some of that today here uh, on the podcast, here even in the intros in just a minute. Uh, fits into the context of one of our guests today on the podcast. It works for the Save the Boundary Waters campaign. Her name's Lauren Eggert. Uh, she lives in the metro, but she frequents the wilderness and, and prefers... Uh, Frequents the Gunflint Trail side of things. Uh, likes coming up to Grand Marais, too. And uh, we caught up with her on a June trip that she did uh, to the wilderness off the trail, mid-trail area. So we're going to hear uh, from Lauren about that and, and just some other dynamics of, of paddling here in the 2020 season. We're still in the pandemic, Matthew. Uh, so that's why we're socially distancing the intros uh, as we've been doing, either on the phone or, or separated here. And um, it, it just fits into uh, the larger context of some of the issues that the campaign has been following uh, for many years now with the Twin Metals Mine. So we're going to talk about that a little more here, actually, in just a minute. But uh, we've also got another submission that came in for part two, Matthew. How about this? How great is that? It's really exciting. Again, thank you to all of you who have sent in emails, notes, and messages telling us how much you appreciate the podcast and especially those of you who have sent in your stories, your own recordings. Uh, that really is the foundation for our second half of our program today. Uh, Kaylin sent us an email uh, with audio of her trip with her husband, Josh. Kaylin and Josh Dix. And uh, it, was a, it was nice to hear from them. Uh, and the email was sent with a bit of a somber attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd like to just read this because it really helps set the stage for, I think, what many of us feel. This was the email that uh, Kaylin included uh, with the audio. Exactly, Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, amidst her writing about the beauty of the trip, she goes on to say, The trip itself was awesome, but we took this trip at a pivotal time in our personal lives and amidst the overarching uneasiness and devastation of the greater societal context the pandemic, unrelenting violence towards people of color, and systemic social injustices have been the backdrop to both of us being out of work and trying to support our two children 
through distance learning, a quarantine, and civil unrest. Of course, a trip like this could be construed as an escape, but we really found it to be more of an opportunity to realign ourselves with what is important in our lives in order to apply those values to our family, community, and the world at large. Wow, nice. And this email arrived uh, to the BWCA podcast at gmail.com account uh, just out of the blue. Uh, it came in with the audio, so they weren't uh, submitting it necessarily even, you know, here's something or we didn't line it up beforehand as we've done in the past. And it was great to hear great to hear their story. And I think uh, as we're starting to do more of these on the podcast and, and we want to encourage this, that this is an opportunity, a platform to share stories. And I think people have a different experience when you go on a trip and record an audio diary of it. I, I mean, it can add some, some context to it, some deeper meaning even, uh, as I think we find out today. Indeed. So stay tuned for the second half of that epi- of our episode today for that conversation mm-hmm. coming straight from the wilderness, yep. as we all love it. Just like I'm talking to you <laughs> straight from the wilderness, and you are so far out of it. I think... We may have to turn the canoe around at some point. (laughs) I'm staying here. (laughs) How did I end up on this side? (laughs) The reality of this scenario, though, that we're in here, Matthew, you being on the wilderness line and I'm outside, uh, this ties into a little bit about what Lauren gets into with her work with the campaign, but also conversations we've had with people like Steve Paragas and Jason over at the Ely Outfitting Company. When when we've made trips to Ely, uh, where the proposed Twin Metals copper nickel mine is right there and numerous conversations with listeners over numerous. the last three years canoe copia midwest mountaineering uh, we've had a lot of conversations about uh the threats to the wilderness even eric uh, from nebraska on his episode last summer uh mentioned it as well it's something that is a, people are concerned about that listen to this podcast and support this podcast uh as well so the well, idea is, what does this line mean? Exactly. Well, that's what Paragus has said to us, is like, okay, the, the argument uh, in defense of the mine is that it's not in the Boundary Waters. There's no element of the Twin Metals mine that's actually in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. Well, there's no element of you, Joe, that's in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness right now. I'm outside here. I could uh, have a can or a bottle or, or whatever I want to do. I could have a motor right here on the canoe where I'm at. Yep. And you can't. No. But it's imagine it's an imaginary line separating us. But if I was to take, let's say I had a, a, a gallon of gas in a can and pour it into the water, accidentally spilled, let's say, it would still flow into the side of the lake that you're on. Naturally so. So that's just putting it into the context of what people say when they're concerned about it. It's the same watershed. It all flows to the same area. Should there be a leak in this, you know, acid runoff or something catastrophic happens with the mine and there's a discharge of unwanted pollution that gets into the water, it doesn't care about any type of wilderness line. No, because the line doesn't exist in reality Mm -hmm. as we see across from each other right now. So that's just some context for our listeners uh, to think about when we when people have voiced their concern about uh, the the boundary waters is one watershed and where things flow. Just to put that in an example, it, it just sort of occurred to Matthew and I as we were sitting here staring at this line, and you're on one side of it and I'm on the other, but it doesn't really mean all that much other than some of the 
motorized restrictions and regulations of the wilderness. Well, I think on that note, Joe, let's uh, hear from Lauren. Okay, well, joining us now on the podcast is Lauren Eggert. Uh, you live down in the Twin Cities. You, you work for the campaign to save the Boundary Waters. You're up the Gunflint Trail today, and you're about to go on a trip to the Boundary Waters. Is that is that all accurate? That's all accurate, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Well, thanks, uh, first of all, for taking some time. I know you're, you're gearing up for your trip, and you're up here with your friend, and, and you're in that process of kind of the anxiety of the night before, but also, you know. Oh, there's of, no anxiety. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not how, yet. Not yeah. yet. Well, tell me how you're feeling. You've got a long portage ahead of you tomorrow. So that, mm-hmm. let's just hear a little bit about this trip uh, coming up for you. I'm going with a girlfriend of mine who I was supposed to go with on a trip to the Boundary Waters about two years ago. Um, but then uh, she awesomely ended up being pregnant. Mm. So we postponed that trip till now. And we're going into Meads Lake tomorrow, which is almost a mile portage. And we're pretty stoked about it. We're going to do it in one portage cool. with a 69-pound canoe. <laughs> yeah, see this blue uh, Winona Royal X canoe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it. And what's, uh, what's going on with this canoe? Is this... Uh your canoe? This is my canoe. Uh, she's brand new to me. I got her from Steve Pragus sure. out of Pragus Northwoods Company. And uh, she's used. She's seen some love. She's got some interesting stickers on her. I'm not quite sure on that end if it's a troll with a cane. And yeah, she's she's ready for her uh, christening trip into the Boundary Waters with me. All right. Great. This sounds like a, a fun trip. I mean, you've got a, a Pretty good portage ahead of you, as you said, a mile portage tomorrow. So uh, here's here's what's going on, Lauren. Here's kind of how we connected today to get uh, this interview on the podcast. Was you're pretty active on social media. You know, <laughs> you you are the uh, you work and what's your role with the campaign to save the Boundary Waters? I'm the marketing and creative director for the campaign to save the Boundary Waters, and that really involves anything that has a messaging touch to it from emails to social to videos uh we just started screening uh, a mini documentary earlier this year called in deep water and um unfortunately that got cut short by covid 19 and whatnot so Mm -hmm. we started having virtual screenings for that um, so I do stuff like that, a lot of uh, event planning and uh, giving people experiences, bringing the Boundary Waters to everyone who can't experience it or even people that haven't. As I said, within that, you're pretty active on, on social media. <laughs> and um, so for our listeners here, we're, we're on the, the edge of the Boundary Waters here as you, you can about to hear a vehicle go by. So clearly we're not in the boundary waters today but uh we're, we're, we're preparing we're not gonna pretend yeah you're, pretend. you're getting ready for your trip uh we're, <laughs> yeah. we're near the edge of the wilderness here uh okay so within that position and your job description there as i said you're pretty active on social media and uh, you know kind of your personality comes through that uh pretty outgoing it seems and not afraid to <laughs> i to don't sp- know we think to speak your mind uh, <laughs> so so that's uh what brought us to the table and, and you mentioned something in a post uh, that caught the some of the the attention of, of WTIP, the radio station where we do the podcast here, about a, a comment on micro ambitions. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so first of all, you know, can you is there just a general way to summarize what what that is, and at least in your point of view, micro ambitions, like not necessarily for this trip planning element we're going to get into, but or a trip itself, but just in a more general sense, what's micro ambitions? Yeah, uh, you know, just to clarify. Joe's talking about a post I had on my personal 
Facebook page. Um, and and microambitions, by definition, is short goals. You know, tiny little goals versus your big dreams, big hairy brained idea goals. Um, classically and historically, I am an overachiever, a perfectionist. Go all in. Um, set your sights on a goal and dedicate everything you do and work hard until you achieve it. And I, I was that way for a really long time. And now I've kind of made this shift in my life about three and a half years ago to focus more on micro ambitions. And I've been doing that to give you an example of what my micro ambitions have been are uh, to learn more things, just anything. I took a yurt building class up here at North House Folk School in Grand Marais. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on my bucket list for about four years before I did it. Uh, and I now own a yurt that I helped build. Nice. Um, making lefsa, I can do that. Uh, chopping down trees, I can do that. Mm-hmm. So just all these little goals that aren't adding up to you know a giant brand new career for me or, or this long-term goal. Um, they're things that bring me joy. They're things that make me happy. and. And I think how this relates to our trips into the wilderness, particularly the Boundary Waters, is I find they're, they're kind of two different camps of people. There's your A to B people. They just want to get, they want to get to where they're going. Mm-hmm. They're going to portage as far as they can. They want to get to this cool spot and they're going to be uh, like ecstatic, very happy when they get there. Yeah. But then there's people like me okay. uh, who want to enjoy the ride you know it is as cheesy as it sounds it's about the journey and not the destination Mm -hmm. when it comes to micro ambitions Mm -hmm. it's not missing um the waterfall that's just a short hike away it's making sure you're looking around and and seeing the moose and the loons and things like that or Mm -hmm. it's also about um and maybe not it's not a micro ambition but there are pain points in every trip that you take, whether it's the bugs or uh, big wind mm-hmm. and navigating that. Um, there's there's stories of success and failure on every Boundary Waters trip. And I think that's what really makes it so unique. And that's what brings so many people to this special place. Um, it really reflects uh, what you're capable of. And most times, that's something you didn't know you were capable of. Hmm. And that's kind of also what microambitions is about. It's not dedicating yourself to this one thing and making sure you're going to do it. It's these little surprises along the way mm-hmm. that you had no clue that, oh, hey, I like this. I, I actually really like going to the bathroom on a latrine, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you do? Huh? No, yeah. I mean... <laughs> I mean, sure. No, I get what you're saying. Um, but it, so- it sounds like to you, uh, you know, Lauren, that maybe microambitions, at least in the context of a wilderness trip, is a- about kind of slowing it down a little bit. Or am I hearing you correctly? Or were you just kinda- That's one way. Yeah, it's just um, slowing it down could be one way to experience microambitions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but it's also just... Making sure you're not, you don't have your blinders on Mm -hmm. to get to that point B. It's taking off the blinders and making sure that you're seeing those other opportunities around you um, to go see something cool, to take the time to jump in the lake because, hey, right now it's perfect. The sun just came out from behind those clouds and it's really hot and let's enjoy this moment. Mm -hmm. I know we got to get to point B, but let's take the time and 
just be here, be present with each other on this trip. Nice. Okay. And how did you come about entering this, you know, way of thinking or this, this type of planning? And did, was this something you, you just kind of woke up and said, okay, this is how I want to start functioning in the world? Or was it, you know, what brought you to this realization of here's how I want to start getting through day to day or a trip or however you want to look at it? Micro ambitions do not come naturally to me. I'm an overachiever. I set my sights on a long-term goal and I achieve it. So all of this has been learned as an adult over the course of the last three and a half years. So what was the turning point three and a half years ago? Um, In my personal life, um, my husband came out as a bisexual. And we have two children together, two boys. Um, Yeah, the truth is, is, is my life was flipped upside down. And when your life is flipped upside down like that, you start to question all the choices you have made. You know, okay, well, if I didn't make this right choice in a life partner, did I make the right choice in a career? And I started looking at my career. I used to be in advertising. I was a senior copywriter uh, for 10 years. And I loved the work but it wasn't fulfilling, it wasn't making me happy. It was uh, stressful. (laughs) And I just, I wanted to do something that made me happy now. Mm -hmm. uh, A job that that wasn't necessarily gonna add to my resume and wow people or, um, you know, be on the way up to the top. So I found the job of marketing and creative director for the campaign to save the Boundary Waters, and it just jumped up and bit me. Mm-hmm. It jumped up and bit me, and it was, I mean, I have loved northern Minnesota since my first summer up here um, when I was eight, and I've just always had this sense of place up here. This is my natural element. It's where I feel at home. And seeing that, I just knew, I knew I had to change everything. And start focusing on these smaller things, not worry about where's this job going to take me in my long-term career, mm-hmm. but allowing this job to bring me happiness in the present. And, and same thing with my uh, marriage changing. Um, you know, we cohabitated and co-parented together for years before even telling our families um, in order to give both of us time to really realize what this meant. Um, And for me, I I didn't know, and I I still don't know. I don't have a long-term plan for my life anymore. I mean, yeah, you've got dreams and things like that. I'm not saying don't have long-term goals. Mm -hmm. I'm saying don't miss out on the small joys that sometimes those long-term goals block out for you because you get tunnel vision. And you, you can't see the joy that's around you. You focus on the negatives or what you can't do. And, and in the wilderness, that's exactly what this goes back to, is proving that you are capable of so much more than you ever thought possible. The wilderness brings that out of you. It brings it out of all of us. And it shows you what you can survive, how many mosquito and black fly bites you can take, how long of a portage you can take, getting back to our big portage tomorrow. Yeah, like our plan is to do it in in one trip. We'll find out. 
you know, but if I see a moose along the way, yeah, I'm going to stop (laughs) (laughs) and probably run and hide behind a tree and then take a photo. But, uh, (laughs) so interesting. So here's, here's what I'm curious about, you know, within the context of this idea of micro ambitions. And as you were just explaining to us, you know, it sounds like you're at the same time, an ambitious person while staying in the now. And you're also, it sounds like pretty, pretty courageous or fearless, uh, you know, about taking on this mile long porch is you're not viewing it as like a daunting task. Nothing you've expressed so far as has an element of fear about it yet. You know, safety is, is something that needs to enter into the equation when it comes to canoe country travel. Of course. And so how do you, uh, you know, where's the intersection of, of this kind of fearlessness meeting safety? Like where do those two intersect? for you? That's a really great question. (laughs) I'm not sure if I've ever really defined that in any capacity in my life. Um, In the wilderness, you really got me, Joe, here. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, that's why we're an (laughs) award-winning podcast. Oh, okay. (laughs) Nice plug, by the way. Uh, (laughs) Do you need me to pat you on the back or you got that okay? (laughs) You set me up. Okay. Somebody throws a softball up Uh at you, you you swing away. All right. Um, I'd say let's find out. You know, trust that you are a capable adult. Trust that you are responsible enough. I, I wouldn't call it fearlessness. Some people might call it that. Um, I just want to find out. I really want to find out what I'm capable of. If I'm capable of um, accepting my bisexual husband and living with him and our children for years without telling our families, not because I want to deceive them, but because I want to give him the chance to figure out who he is, I want to find out what else I can do. You know, now is is really my time for me and and my boys as I start my new personal journey, um, and and even this new trip tomorrow that mm-hmm. we're embarking on. Mm-hmm. I want to find out what I can do. The parallels are there for me personally and in the wilderness. Um, and I don't I don't think setting a limitation is how you find what you're capable of. Now, if some type of concern arises, um, I fully believe that I'm prepared to, to handle that as a smart, capable adult who's been in the wilderness before and, and is prepared. I think that's maybe a key as well as being prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, just as in a long-term goal, a micro-ambition can also not go your way. You might not find that joy. It might be painful and you need to be prepared to deal with those as they come and, and pivot and, and take a breath and say, okay, that's not how I planned it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's okay. I've got this. And now how am I going to make it better? Hmm. And I, I don't know if you were going to get into this or not, but when I say, I can't say like, how do I make it better without talking about um, the times we're in right now, you know, with George Floyd mm-hmm. And uh, the things that are happening, not only in Minnesota, but around the country, around the world, uh, for social justice, for for a change in our civil rights, for equality, um, how how can I make it better? How can we all make it better? So these types of philosophies aren't just things that you apply 
to the wilderness, but they're also things that you take away, that you've learned out there. And now you need to take those with you and apply them to your your life. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry if that went too deep. Nope. <laughs> or absolutely. just totally whoop. And now yeah. 180 degrees in the opposite direction. No, I, I mean, I've experienced that too. So this is, you know, into the month of June. It's the first weekend in June coming up and, and you'll be going on your trip. And mm-hmm. I went on one the previous weekend, which was kind of the, the peak of what was happening in the Twin Cities. And, and in one sense, you know, it was hard to leave we considered not going there were i, I kind of picked up on as our email exchanges of coordinating when to meet up the trail and so forth that you know you were struggling with just everything happening and i don't mm-hmm. know if it had ever crossed your mind to not come or whatever yeah, of but course. um of course it did yeah so it's it's an, there's uh there's a lot happening right now and and um within that too you know, the wilderness is an escape but matthew and i on the podcast are also you know t- being aware that it's a privilege we're quite privileged to be able to go in here you know and say and we've got canoes on our vehicles and mm-hmm. we can drive where we want to go and take time off and and so forth so there's an element of that that you know i think is worth bearing witness to at the, at the very least here in this conversation yeah i mean we are very privileged we talk all the time about how the boundary waters is such an accessible wilderness mm-hmm. right compared to other wilderness areas it is um, but there is an inequality when it comes to outdoor enthusiasts, a racial inequality, mm-hmm. really. And um, it, it's, it's something that at the campaign, we are constantly striving to uh, figure out and turn to the people that have been solving racial inequality issues forever. Like for the last 400 years, there's people that have been doing the work that have been working on these issues. And and we are not the experts, but we want everyone to enjoy this place. Mm-hmm. You know, there is an intersection here for environmental conservation and social justice and racial equality. There's an intersection here. This wilderness is for everybody. It's not for just the privileged or those who have cars and have canoes. This should be for everyone. Everyone should get to go out regardless of your race, gender, sexual identity, uh, you name it, abilities, whether you have certain abilities that challenge you. Everyone should get to experience what it feels like to be out there and discover, huh, I didn't know I could do that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I was capable of that. And, and I, I think we need to include that more in our conversations um, and, and just note that it is a, it's, it's very important for the protection of our wild places. You cannot protect wild places without making sure everyone has the equal opportunity to enjoy them. The two go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we're not likely to solve anything no, in our conversation here tonight. No. But I think it's that the fact it, that it's that, not that easy. Yeah, and, and just bearing witness today in in these in light of uh, where we're at as a society here in twenty twenty, it's to open that and be realistic about yeah. where we are going on our trips and this, Well and to get back to your point of of course we thought about not coming up here, you know, mm-hmm. with everything that's going on with George Floyd and it is a privilege to be allowed to experience this wilderness, the Boundary Waters canoe area. It's really a hard one for me because I have guilt about it. I have guilt about running away 
I get to run away from this issue right now and go be in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. That's privilege right there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I'm not, I don't have a resolution to that. I don't, I can't tell you what's making me feel better about that other than sometimes you need to put on your own oxygen mask before assisting others. And I'm actually really bad at that personally. Um, as a mom, I think sometimes as just a, a natural female nurturer, you tend to take care of others first. Um, and I think sometimes in order to help others, to, to really help them, you first need to take a moment for yourself, whether that's a deep breath, um, some meditation in the morning, a weekend trip to the Boundary Waters if you are so privileged and lucky to be able to do so. Um, to reconnect with yourself and your true beliefs and again challenge your capabilities and see what see what you can do because then I can now after this trip I'm going to learn something I don't know what that is yet mm -hmm. it's always something I can't tell you what it is mm -hmm. but I'm going to take that back with me and I'm going to use that whether consciously or subconsciously in my work in my personal life um and there hasn't been a lesson that I've learned in the Boundary Waters that hasn't had a positive influence in my life. Hmm. Yeah. Well said. And so here on the podcast, you know, our whole platform is about storytelling. And either with, within what we've just been talking about or back to, you know, kind of the micro ambitions or just even from when it sounds like you've been coming up here for since you were young and at least in the, the region up here. But any stories you have a favorite, you know, kind of a memory or spot or just anything that that's that's what it's about for me or that's a story that that sums up a lot for me about what this place means and is to me. Hmm. So uh, when I first joined the campaign to save the Boundary Waters, we were really lucky. We were, um, I was really lucky in particular. I had just joined and three days in after meeting my new team, we were going winter camping in the Boundary Waters. Mm. I didn't grow up camping for the record. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad was drafted in Vietnam and he hated camping because mm -hmm. of the army. And so we never went camping growing up. Everything I've learned has been as an adult. And I'm constantly learning and doing things wrong. But that's how we learn. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm out in, in the woods in the winter with uh, Voyager Outward Bound School. They had taken us on, our group, the campaign. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're dog sledding. We're cross-country skiing. I had done neither of those things. Mm. Um, I had never winter camped. And we're sleeping on a river without a tent. In you know, I think, no gosh. hot tent and a stove. My nope. goodness, nope. <laughs> and uh, I was very excited, I was very nervous and uh, very excited about this. It, again, it went back to I want to see if I can do this. Mm -hmm. And um, my god, did I love it! It was, it was amazing. Uh, so much work. Winter camping is so much work. If you've ever done it, you're constantly moving snow to prep your camp, and in the boundary waters, there's leave no trace, which is hell of a lot harder when there's all this white stuff on the ground mm -hmm. and you bring in the twigs and I mean just clearing your fire that's a, a job within itself mm -hmm. um I loved dog mushing I mean right after that trip I was like I, I felt so connected to it it was the most I'd probably run all year because I'm, I'm not a runner mm. uh and after that trip I was like oh yeah 
I'm going to I'm going to train for the Iditarod. I mean, I have not again with the big hairy goals. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't think that's in the cards for me. We'll leave that to the real professional. It, it seemed logical at the time. I just were, like, let me yeah. I want to live with the dogs. Mm-hmm. I want to do this. And oh, wait, sure. I have children. And oh, yeah, I can't mm-hmm. really. Yeah. OK. So on this, I'm curious about this winter camping trip. I mean, you had no tent. Yeah. On this winter camping trip. Now, that's a new thing for me to hear about. What's what? Where did you sleep and what was the arrangement? Well, we on? slept on uh, the Kwishwi River mm-hmm. and we used um, tarps, basically, yeah. with guy lines mm-hmm. out to our ski poles. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And when you slept on the ice? Um, the we dug down in the snow, mm-hmm. you know. And we put sleeping pads on the snow and mm-hmm. at our, a campsite or at the on the on the river on the river. Yeah, and so, river. if you've ever been on a frozen river, I mean, even if you haven't slept, there are these big booms. Mm-hmm. And when you're sleeping, there's something a little unsettling about it, you know. Hmm. Um, but why no but tent? How come? I don't understand why. Well, you, a, a big a wall tent like that is uh, that's a lot to carry, and we had quite a few people. We had two dog sleds in total, and we also had people pulling pulk sleds uh, on their skis. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't know; it was never they didn't bring up the option, at least not to me personally. I'd like to speak with the organizer <laughs> of this trip and uh, <laughs> find out the. But it was great. I think at one point, at one point in time, I woke up in the middle of the night because I had rolled outside off your sleeping pad and you know real quick mm-hmm. when you roll off your sleeping pad hmm. and you're on snow yeah <laughs> but it was also snowing out and the snowflakes were hitting my face and it was really wonderful to be woken up that way and just realize like oh i'm in the wilderness right now and this is this is an awesome experience and i wish everyone could have this right now hmm. to feel this way you know winter camping sounds crazy most most americans you say that too they're like what the hell are they talking about of course i'm not gonna go winter camping are you nuts yeah um but i would do it again in a heartbeat in a heartbeat nice excellent well you have a long portage ahead of you sure do in the near future (laughs) uh we look forward to maybe hearing about how that goes or send us uh, an email and tell us how it goes or stop by okay Uh, i'm sure it's gonna be uh, pretty good with your new canoe mm-hmm. and a full pack <laughs> and a mile. And a mile. Yep. I'll let you know how it goes. I'll send you some photos. How that'd, about that? That'd be great. Um, I'm not promising that they'll be, you know, successful. That's, uh, yeah, no worries. Okay. Uh, it'll, it'll be great to hear how things go and, and have a great trip. I know it's, you know, it's a challenging time with uh, two major world issues happening now uh just right here in front of us in front of uh, in the state of minnesota certainly and um you're going to be heading into the wilderness and and uh, I'll, I'll be curious to hear how that distancing goes for you too but uh have have a, a, at the time being a, have a great trip and we're talking with uh lauren eggert she is from the campaign to save the boundary waters and lives in the Twin Cities, headed into the Boundary Waters here in June 2020. Lauren, uh, thank you so much. It was, this was entertaining and um, also very educational. You had a lot of cool <laughs> things to say, so thank you. You've learned a lot about me, Joe. <laughs> a powerful voice for the things that she is passionate about, doesn't she? She tells it like it is. 
Indeed. I, I appreciated that. Uh, you know, we, we were outside the wilderness as her and I were having that conversation. Uh, we heard the car go by a truck at one point, and, uh, you know, mosquitoes were memorably intense that night. Uh, so we had to kind of grind through that interview. Uh, it was the, uh, you know, the pandemic was really rolling along, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we had met up with masks on and so forth. So there were a lot of, uh, variable just things happening within the course of that interview and she was anxious about the mile long portage into meads the next day who isn't <laughs> yeah so <laughs> so uh appreciated her taking some time to uh share some of those thoughts open up about her personal life and and just uh on the podcast matthew it's a platform for sharing uh you know of course reflections about trips but also what brings people here what's going on in, in their lives that brings them to the wilderness uh and we get into a little bit of that on the next part of the episode today too actually this uh, audio submission uh, that you told us about at the at the opening of the episode today again i can't express enough how how grateful we are when people take the time to produce these on their own submit their audio uh, journal diary of the trip and uh, husband and wife uh, josh and uh, kaylin dix did a great job with this today for us so i think we should just jump right in matthew not 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 into the water into their segment (laughs) it's been raining all morning (laughs) it is wednesday morning we left at about 7 a.m from round lake um, it wasn't too bad on round. And then we got to Missing Link, and Missing Link wasn't too bad. All the sites were empty on Missing Link. We did the nasty portage from Missing Link to Tuscarora, and it was muddy and rocky and long and buggy. But we made it. One pass, so that was good. We got onto Tuscarora, and it looked pretty ominous. Pretty rainy, rains harder. And I- harder it's raining harder now and pretty windy we stopped at the first site because the wind was just too much once we kind of started getting out into the lake and I was getting cold but we're gonna hunker down here on that first site on Tuscarora on the point I don't see anybody else out on the lake which is good because it looks pretty nasty out there Okay, this is Tuscarora part two. I am in my hammock right now. It's about one o'clock p.m. And we had a really nice lunch. Josh made quesadillas with black olives. It was super good. And hit the spot. It's a little bit, I mean, I wouldn't say it's chilly. It's like in the six, low 60s. But it's pretty windy and pretty rainy. Just a steady rain. But Tuscarora is pretty windy lake right now so we're not going to um, continue on today but um, we listened to WTIP can get good reception here so that feels good the hammock is dry the sleeping bag's warm I'm trying to dry my clothes from today but they're pretty wet so we'll see hopefully it'll get stay windy but the rain will let up so we can dry our clothes there are worms everywhere on the ground, which is crazy because there's little angle worms everywhere you look. Or earthworms, I guess. 
and we forgot the screen tent or like the little screen veil thing that we purchased specifically for this trip but you know what the bugs aren't that bad the mosquitoes aren't terrible um i don't know if it's the wind or the rain or both but they're actually not bad i do have my head net which is helpful uh so i think it's going to be just fine we don't have any no cms today so that's good and yeah so anyway i'm gonna read my book and probably take a nap because what else do you do when it's rainy and windy and it's the middle of the day on lake tuscarora Thursday morning. It is still windy. We're hoping if we got up early, it might calm down a little and we could move on from Tuscarora. But well, I woke up at quarter to five and it was just as windy as it had been all day yesterday. Kaylin, I went back to sleep. Kaylin got up and started packing up. And, and I don't know, I think the waves were just too big. So we stayed put. Still have a little hope that maybe at some point it'll calm down a little bit. Uh, at least the clouds are breaking up a little. And it's not raining. That's nice. Uh, last night was cool. Not quite cold, but I was cool. And I'm worried tonight I'm going to be cold because it sounds like maybe 30s tonight. Way across the lake, way over there, there is uh, somebody here now. This is the first trace of human we've seen since we came in the boundary waters. I got some sort of orange tarp they're trying to put up there, getting fully blasted with wind on that side. I looked at the binoculars and I could see it whipping their tarp or tent or something just blowing all over the place. I'm sure they had a bumpy boat ride if they just came in this morning. We've been kind of hoping somebody would come by just to see if these waves are doable. See how much they're struggling and see if we want, if we think we could do it too or not. But I think that's about it for now. It is Thursday morning, about 10.30. I got up kind of early to check the wind and it was pretty windy all night. And then in the morning, still windy, the waves look pretty rough on this side of the lake. We're kind of on this north side of the lake. Um, but we're just going to see what the day brings. If we're here today, that's fine. And we'll hopefully head out in the morning to Owl Lake. But still pretty windy around here at least it's not raining which is good there's a little sun here and there and yeah bugs aren't bad no no cms which is awesome a few mosquitoes here and there but really not bad at all it's too windy so that's the silver lining to the wind i guess we haven't seen anyone on the lake this morning maybe there's some people camped out at the site closer to the missing link portage but they're not moving either today. So, that's that. Well, it's almost hard to believe it, but we're still on Tuscarora. I don't know how this is the same lake. I wish we had been prepared to do a little traveling 
this afternoon and evening. So the theme of today was, should I stay or should I go now? <laughs> you know, this morning, the wind was insane and through the middle of the day even. And it died down so slowly that you really couldn't tell if it was, if it was dying down or not. And so we decided to stay, even though we really wanted to go. And I feel like I was leaning more stay because, uh, you know, we know somebody died on this lake not so long ago. So I wanted to stay, even though I wanted to go. Um, but now the lake is really calming down. It looks amazing. And we're going to get up so early and we're going to go so far as long as the lake stays like this. In the meantime, it was really entertaining because finally, you know, I had said earlier, I hope, uh, I hope somebody else comes by so I can see how hard it is to get across this lake. And two boats did. In fact, uh, I'll show you there. I can, I think I can see them. Sorry, a seagull just flew over. <laughs> uh, I can see their campsite. I assume it's them. These two boats with two guys came around the point where we uh, came around yesterday and they hit the wind and it literally looked like they stopped moving. Like they're paddling as hard as they can and their boats basically stopped when they hit the wind. And they were like, no, they turned around. But then three boats came, uh, one with three people, three dudes, younger guys, two women and a solo fella and they went for it they went blasting right out into those waves and they made it but man it looked hairy and it also made me think we could have made it so it was kind of discouraging but in the long run the sun came out and it turned out to be a really gorgeous day uh, I already had a ton of firewood cut so I didn't want to go and leave that behind so we're still on Tuscarora at the end of Thursday I think I said Tuesday at the beginning of today but it today's Thursday <laughs> yes boundary waters who cares what day it is and uh we're hoping the sun will go down so we can get up early and hit the water hard and maybe still get to Little Sag tomorrow and maybe even further and then not have such a long day on Saturday getting out. Tuscarora part four, the final installment. Last night was chilly, but not windy, so that was nice. Better sleeping because it wasn't as loud. This morning it is cold. Maybe like, what Josh, 40? Yeah. 40 degrees? 40 degrees is what it said. Um, we're kind of trying to figure out our gear because we're headed out early. It's probably six, well, it's 6.30. But we got up at about 5 to get headed out early. It's super calm this morning, which is awesome. We can just go right across the lake, right through the middle. And yeah, good fire last night. Josh had a lot of wood. We had a nice relaxing day. It was super nice and sunny later in the afternoon. I even went for a little swim. We saw a snapping turtle last night. Nice sunset. The birds are out this morning. 
fog coming off the lake on the west end where the, or on the east end, sorry, where the sun's coming up. And we're headed out to Owl and trying to make it to little Saginaga today and maybe even a little bit further. So we'll see how we do. All right. I was going to mention yesterday we saw how many groups? Four groups? The first group came by maybe 11-ish, noon-ish, and it was super windy. It was a group of four guys. They had to turn around just after our campsite because it was way too windy around that point that we're on. And then we saw another group of three boats. One was a solo. They made it out to the island, but it looked pretty tough. That solo guy was paddling in one place for quite a while <laughs> to get there. Uh, and then we saw a group of three in one canoe. They didn't wave to us. They were they were braving it. It didn't seem as bad at that point. And then we saw a couple other guys come through later in the afternoon, and it was getting much calmer and warmer. So they made it no problem. Okay, this is Brant Lake morning time just before six did you just get up not that long ago yeah, okay josh got up 5 30 i got up well i've been up but i got out of the out from underneath the tarp a little bit ago super foggy this morning we couldn't even like see i didn't even know what i was looking at when i came out of the tarp um now it's clearing up a little bit. We saw a canoe go by, or heard a canoe go by in the fog, which is crazy. And we think we they found that portage back to round, or Ethel West round to round. Josh slept really good last night. Like a dream. <laughs> like, like a dream, he says. <laughs> on a rock. We're sleeping literally on a rock. Um... Underneath the most jerry-rigged tarp situation. Anyway, uh, we'll head out later this morning after some coffee and oatmeal. We're gonna. I'm gonna watch another canoe go by just to confirm where that portage entry is. But overall, an, a pretty good night. I was just happy to be not carrying a backpack and standing. I didn't sleep very well at all, but you know what? I feel good. <laughs> uh, heard a beaver last night, probably 3 or 4 a.m. if I'm going to give it a guess. It was just before the birds started singing. So I'd guess like 3 or 3.30. Flapping its tail just below us, which is making me a little nervous, but we're still alive. We're not beaver food. We're not part of his dam. All right, we'll get out of here today. I'm, I'm sure of it. Maybe we'll just go back around the horn again. Josh, what do you think? <laughs> go back through Tuscarora. <laughs> oh my God, no way. Um, as you can maybe maybe see, I am not in the Boundary Waters anymore. I missed doing a video yesterday at all because we had a really long day. So 
thought I'd try and just do a little recap. I'm back at the cabin on Devil Track. It's chilly here. It was much warmer up the trail. Shorts on and a sweatshirt. You'd think it'd be shorts and a sweatshirt weather, but yeah, I, it's cold. It's breezy. Um, it's buggy, but uh, it's, it's good to be clean and fed and back. I mean, it's just, you know, you never want to leave the boundary waters, but man, it feels good to just uh, get a little, a little freshened up. I grabbed a, grabbed my map just so I can try and remember. We covered serious ground, serious ground on uh, Friday, yesterday. Really serious. So we started at Tuscarora, where my last video ended. Woke up, gorgeously calm, hit the water, paddled hard. Got to Owl, flew through that, got to Crooked. We saw one, at least one guy at a campsite with a with a dog. Crooked was kind of a neat lake, you know, it's it's kind of got some nooks and crannies. But we got through that pretty fast. Headed down to Terry. I feel like we got maybe a hair off track on Terry. I'm kind of forgetting now, but you know, overall, it, nothing nothing too uh, memorable stands out. Got to Mora Lake. For some reason, uh, I was thinking about hitting that 100-rod portage to the south rather than the 45-rod portage to Little Sag where we were trying to get. So I kind of, you know, we went by some islands and that kind of threw me off a little bit, trying to tell, like, you know, when the islands are big, we learn fast. Like, big islands seem like shoreline, and it's really hard to tell till you get past it whether or not it's land or island, mainland or island, I should say. So we went all the way down. Luckily, I missed the 100-rod portage and went to the far south. I didn't find the portage, realized where we were, went backtracked all the way back up to the northwest, made it to Little Sag. And then we got to, let's see, where is that campsite we went to? Kind of, you know, on the north, northeast side, that one uh, that's kind of on a big overlook. That was a piece of cake, man. We got there. We really felt good about knowing where the heck we were again. Because, we, you know, when you start getting a little mixed up, like we did on Mora, um, uh, morale can go south really fast. And, you know, you, you can't help but get a little worried and a little panicked sometimes. And so then once we got to Little Sag and we were seeing the campsites on the map just like we were supposed to, felt good. We stopped at that campsite had lunch what did we have for lunch <laughs> well we kind of we went light on breakfast because we wanted to get out early and so we had uh, cinnamon raisin bagels with some butter that I toasted uh, for lunch and some breakfast sausage and an apple that was good uh, it was a nice sight you know gorgeous views but I don't know I mean, I like it was pretty exposed. I think maybe that's why I didn't like about it. Pretty exposed. Didn't have much depth. You know, it was a lot of new growth after the fire kind of situation going behind the site. So we had no problem moving on. We were trying to find the 90-rod portage to Virgin Lake. And uh, following the 
kind of northeastern shore of Little Sag we found to be very challenging. The islands, there's so many islands. I just keep looking down back at the map. But, you know, they, they look so tiny on the map that you think they're practically non-existent, but they're actually these huge land masses that seem like mainland. So we really struggled to follow the coast and just get to that portage. So we missed the 90 rod. We ended up going through all those nooks and crannies kind of to the north side of the lake and got to Rattle Lake instead. You know, we were glad we found a portage. We thought maybe we were going to Virgin Lake, but of course, as soon as we got through a really short portage, uh, we realized it was Rattle Lake by the looks of things. But you know, you're just, you're not quite sure. That's the thing, it's like you think you think you know, but you you know you better be right. You you know I mean. So what this kind of what that statement comes back to is uh, I read this book maybe a year ago maybe less uh, about I I don't know if it was just like lost in the wilderness or something like that. These two guys, two different stories. One of them got lost in the powwow trail. One of them got lost in the boundary waters. And they survived, but they went through some pretty, pretty rough circumstances, especially the one on the powwow, if I remember right, was really about to give up before they, that person got found. And so anytime I start getting a little, a little off track, I can't help but think about that. And, and anyway, scary stuff. So Rattle Lake on my Fisher map has the portage a bit west of the creek that goes through to little to uh sorry Gavin Michigami we kept looking everywhere for that portage ended up being like right on the creek but you know we couldn't find the portage which maybe made me think well is this the lake that we thought we were on which it totally was but there was some second guessing going up after all that we finally get to Gabby what a gorgeous lake just huge lake wide open really liked it i'd love to get back there uh we only saw one other boat with two people coming out of the portage from peter and uh the campsite uh kind of the i guess it'd be the eastern where there's two campsites right next to each other one on the eastern side of that looked awesome it was like a park just open with some trees um really looked like a nice spot so we went past that we got to peter and that was kind of our goal was i mean once we realized we were on rattle and gabby was like you know let's just get to peter and i think we'll call it a day but uh so the funny thing i've been talking about with kaylin since this kind of towards the end of this trip and since it was like the hard the hard lessons learned and the first one or one of the main ones was on peter lake the hard lesson learned is uh, don't bring a hammock to a forest fire campsite because there's no trees. There was no trees bigger than like three to four inches in diameter to hang a hammock on. That whole lake obviously burned and it looked like it burned hot. There was nothing old left there. We got out and checked one site. You know, I mean, maybe there was these two little jack pines that... Maybe would have held Kalen up, but mm, my, no, my body would not have been good for those trees. <laughs> um, so we pushed all the way across Peter, 
You know, I remember thinking I'm tired, but we're we're moving along pretty good. You know, it was a long lake, but we got through it pretty quick. I felt like took the 130 rod portage to uh, French Lake, and if I remember right, that portage, you know, being in a burn area was rough. So much new growth, so much brush, so much little like birch and aspen branches just pushing the canoe all around while I'm, you know, carrying it over. Picked up a tick on that one. Just, it's kind of a rough one for the psyche. We got through it, but it was pretty hard. So then we got to French Lake and we checked out this site on the kind of northeast corner of French. Same situation, clearly burned, no trees. Um, we thought about going to that south site to see what that looked like. It looked like, you know, there was some more mature trees on the south side of the lake. Um, but you know, we thought maybe, you know, we're kind of heading east either way, you know, to get back to Round Lake. And uh, so we didn't want to go way out of the way. So we thought, well, we'll just get to Gillis. There's sites everywhere on Gillis that, you know, we'll get there and just be done. You know, at this point, it's probably three, four or five o'clock in that range somewhere. And, you know, Kaylin did her uh, voice recording for this and she'll describe it too, but it's just... Not good luck finding site at all. We went straight south, checked those two sites, occupied. Coming from those two sites, there was a crew, the crew that we had seen on Tuscarora going to the island, heading uh, northeast. So clearly they had been checking out campsites and found nothing. We followed them to the east, and that last north site to the east, they got, it was open, they got it. You could hear them hooting and hollering because they found a spot. And we were left to move on. So we thought, well, we'll get to Bat Lake. And if not, Brant, if we have to. And of course, we met a fella on the Portage. He was coming into Gillis solo, um, had driven up from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to do a solo trip on his own, had a kayak with some fishing rods and a backpacker's backpack and that was it and i think that's awesome man that's pretty hardcore he's already you know come from round lake all the way to gillis on your own after a drive like that is pretty pretty tough i would think <laughs> but he said it you know it didn't look good it looked like uh bat was all full and brant maybe had one site left or vice versa, but that there was people behind him putting in as well, and that they had said something about, you know, not having the ambition to go in very far. So we got through Bat, all occupied, and that's where the real adventure started, and, you know, sorry to keep looking down. Maybe if I hold the map up. So from there, we went to Edith Lake. You know, so... No, sorry, back it up. So we're at bat. And really, I forget when it happened exactly, but I had gotten a little discompobulated on the map and I just decided to let, you know, just give it to Kaylin and just stop. Like, I just wanted a break from the navigating. And so I wasn't really watching where we were going. I just kind of followed and we went to Green Lake and then we took the next one to Flying Lake. And these are all kind of small lakes. And then we tried to find, we thought we took the 50 rod portage to Goddard Lake. And that's when things just totally went to crap. 
I think there's an abandoned portage there. Um, Caitlin's theory was it's just, you know, people get off track and bushwhacked a path, that, but it was the ugliest path. You could see on the ground that it was a path, but man, the brush and the trees were hard to get through, really hard. Probably the worst I've ever gone through. And we ended up, let me look back, we ended up on the north side of Goddard, probably more like 75 rods. And I had gotten wedged, the boat got wedged up in between two trees and I finally dropped it to the ground, you know, so I'm feeling pretty bad. We see this water, we have no idea where we are. I mean, we have an idea, but there's this discomfort of not knowing for sure. And, uh, you know, we walked a, a little ways down the path. It came to what looked like a, a landing, um, but we're clearly not on the right side of the lake. So that's why I, my best guess is that it was in Old Portage. And maybe coming from the east and going west, it's much more clear where you're supposed to go. But somehow we got a little off track there. Um, but we get on Goddard Lake. At that point, you know, that had some pretty big rock walls, so the, the sun wasn't hitting it anymore, and you start getting that, you know, pressed-for-time, eerie feeling, like, we really need to find some place to hunker down here pretty soon. We don't have a lot of time left before it gets dark. And, I mean, you can worry about that. It's more of a psychological thing, I feel like. Like, we have, we have all the gear we need. We still have food. We can basically pitch a camp anywhere we want and be just fine. Uh, but you still feel, you know, the, the time crunch and that kind of was wearing on us, I think, psychologically. But, we've, you know, we, we kind of check the bearings and it seems like, you know, we hit the portage off Goddard to go to Brant. And, you know, I check on the compass and uh, it's going the right direction. So that seemed good. And we get out and there's a campsite right there, just like on the map. And I remember telling Kaylin, like, I just want to see people. I just want to see a lake with some people on it to know that we're actually on track because the, the uncertainty can kind of set in there, but we did. Uh, unfortunately, all the sites were filled, <laughs> like everywhere else. I forgot, we hit, on Flying Lake, we hit a, a crew. They were heading north to, uh, God, what is that, Bingshik and or Fay Lake, although there's no campsites on Fay, so I guess Bingshik, but they were like, they sounded kind of disgruntled. No campsites to be found. Um, we even passed an island. There was a crew of guys on the island with, uh, you know, just camping out on the rock because there's no place to go. We went, followed the, you know, the south to the east and really couldn't quite find the portage. Um, went a little bit too far to the south, I think. And it really, at that point, the sun was starting to fall behind the trees. And I uh, just... It was time to call it. So luckily that point on the south central part of the lake, nice open rock, we just went back there, set up camp and went rogue. Uh, no fires, of course, or better than that. But we just, it was nine o'clock. We had been paddling since 6.30 in the morning. So 14 and a half hours of paddling and portaging, pardon me, from Tuscarora to Crooked, Gillis to Gabby. Sorry, I can't even. We went far. My map is folded, so I'm missing all the lakes. It was a long day. 
my back, my shoulders, my legs were all torn up from the rough boardage. So finally at nine o'clock, we pulled the plug, get up on this rock. It was pretty, I mean, it was a pretty good spot as far as rogue spots go. Um, Kaylin was a genius setting up the, the tarp, gave us a little shelter on the rock, you know, maybe three feet off the ground, but at least, uh, you know, you have something, keep the dew off a little bit. Made some uh, ramen for dinner with chicken and peas. That felt good. Get some food. Drank some beaver water. There was five beavers in that lake out there. So within the next 48 hours, we'll uh, find out if my platypus gravity works filter did its job or not. I was a little hesitant, but my mouth was so dry after that day. I just, I went for it. And man, it felt really good to stop. I slept like a dream on that boulder. I don't know how. I was just too exhausted not to. Kaylin slept about 45 minutes, it sounds like. Um, but we got up, totally fogged in, really cool morning, sun shining through the fog, beavers, loons, uh, birds, woodpeckers, really, you know, pretty cool morning, I think. And we were just happy to be situated and we knew where we had to go. Pretty easy route out, we thought. So from there, uh, you know, we got up probably around 5.30, hit the water by 7.38. Again, we were waiting for the fog to burn so we could see where we were going. Go to Edith and go to West Round. First thing you need to know, the portage from Brant to Edith. I mean, I get like you're still in the wilderness, so you can't do boardwalks and all that, but you're basically walking a muddy creek through a swamp. That portage stunk. And if this was my, if that had been my entry point, it's no wonder nobody wants to go any further after that, because what a mud hole. Um, although on the silver lining of that was, it was my first time just trying to rock my water shoes with seal skins. And kind of, you know, like a calf high, I guess I'd call it. Uh, socks, waterproof socks. Surprisingly comfortable. You know, I'd worn them running a lot in uh, spring when it's kind of slushy and wet and they definitely kept my feet dry, but I wasn't so sure about full submergal in water and mud, but man, warm, so you know, squishy, but dry. Who knew? Uh, so those will be coming back on our next trip. But man, that portage, if we had done that in the waning sun, I think we would have just broken down and cried. So uh, things worked out and we turned around and went back to the rock. Went to West Round, West Round Lake. Uh, somewhere in there it looked like maybe it was to round kind of a beaver pond that had dried out. That was kind of cool to see. You know, like the dam must have broke. And then we got out to Round and that just felt amazing. You know, it's so fun. I keep joking, like, we do this for fun. <laughs> like, we worked our butts off. My body is sore. Um, a couple moments that were a little, a little scary. Uh, but it was really, really fun in the long run. <laughs> Felt so good to get to Round Lake and get back to the truck. Feels so good when you turn the key and it actually starts. I mean, not like there's anything wrong with my truck, but you can't help but think, wow, that would suck if my truck didn't start. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, biggest lessons learned. Use your compass, find a bearing. Don't just try to follow the shore, especially on lakes with lots of islands. Don't count on any campsites near an entry point on a Friday night in a pandemic. Because, wow, there was none for quite a long ways. From the brand entry point through Gillis, no open campsites until French. Don't bring a hammock to a burn zone. It's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. It, you're going to regret it big time. And we did. I mean, the hammocks were great at Tusk. Not great on French or Peter. Uh, but man, overall, one of the most adventurous, certainly the most adventurous trip we've ever been on. I mean, we've backpacked the entire Superior Trail and never went through something like this. Uh, completely exhausting. Super fun in the long run. Great sense of accomplishment. Looks like a little sunburn, maybe. Could be worse. Feels good to be back at the cabin. Don't want to go back to the city, but that's normal for me. <laughs> I love it. So we are back at home base on Devil Track Lake. It's the next day. It's Sunday after our trip. Yesterday we got back to the cabin and just kind of decompressed, showered, wound down a little bit as much as we could had a really nice dinner mom and dad made steaks which was awesome um yeah it was a really great trip we it was the right timing for us definitely as far as i think physically we're you know in good shape right now so could have you know we're able to do kind of a um aggressive trip like that a little bit of follow-up here once we got into internet service, we were able to discover that it was the Cavity Lake fire, not the Ham Lake fire, that affected that area up on Peter and part of Gillis. What else was affected there? French. Um, but that was more the Cavity Lake fire of 2006, I think Josh said. Um, not Ham Lake, but still pretty uh, stark comparison to old growth forest. Um, we did feel a little bit bad about our rogue campsite on Brant, but of course we didn't, we didn't have a campfire. We tried really hard to find a site starting back at Peter. And as we went on and couldn't find one, they were all taken. We tried to get out to the car, but we were just losing daylight, um, and had to stay, um, for safety reasons. And because people love us, <laughs> we wanted to come back safe. But this was an excellently timed trip with everything, the pandemic, civil unrest, social injustices in the cities and really everywhere right now. But there's lots of stressors going on, uh, you know, world-wise, society-wise, and personally, too, with both of us not working right now, the uncertainty of my job with this furlough. Uh, living with children during a quarantine <laughs> and distance learning was a challenge the last few months. It was an awesome experience to be in the North Woods in June. It's typically a month that we avoid due to the black flies and mosquitoes, but you know, at least we kind of avoid, avoid it up there until the dragonflies start to appear. But um, wow, it was gorgeous. 
being out there in the deep woods and adventuring like that, it's really euphoric, really. You know, we're reminded of the simple joys of a warm meal or warm beverage and how that can just shift your attitude 180 if you're having a bad time or bad moment. We did the majority of this trip in one day because we were windbound for two days and two nights on Tuscarora. So we had a big accomplishment with what we did on Friday, that big, long trip with, I don't know, it was like 14 lakes and 14 portages and 14 hours. That was pretty amazing. And, you know, you can always look back on those experiences, those those hard things that you do and draw on those when you encounter other challenges or scary moments in life. And You know, you can think, wow, I did this really hard thing and I can really handle anything the universe throws my way. So that's a beautiful thing about this trip. Uh, You know, you can look at any trip um, or any vacation as as an escape from reality and the stressors that you're experiencing. But, but, you know, know, one might, might argue that you know, are you escaping real life or are you getting back to real life when you're camping? It's, it's hard to say. Um, I, I see it, I see it both ways, but you know, getting away to a simpler routine and lifestyle through the boundary waters is not necessarily, I don't think my perspective, I don't, I don't think it's an escape for me, but it's rather a way to grow through challenges, sort of realign yourself with, you know, your core and, your partner, if you're doing it with a friend or, um, you know, life partner, spouse, you know, growth you can take with you and apply to everyday life. You know, this trip and trips in general are an excellent way to recharge and just really kind of get to what's important to you and um, how, you know, try to apply those lessons to, to your, you know, other realms of your life. We will be going out out again soon, I'm sure. It was an awesome trip. And the sign of a great trip is that you want to do it all over again. (laughs) This is Kaylin, signing off from home base at Devil Track Lake. Out here winding things down on Homer Lake. Beautiful night on the edge of the Boundary Waters. Matthew's down the lake's edge. Catching walleye. (laughs) (laughs) Having a good time, as you can hear. And uh, just a beautiful night. I'm going to scamper down here on the rocks where he's at. We're fishing off an island here. Man, this is just a gorgeous evening out here. The sun has set probably 20, 30 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. Got that nice mellow gradient of light with some orange on the horizon and cloud wisps just above the trees and walleye it's been a nice night not not anything just over the top but we've got enough for a nice fish dinner uh tomorrow have some fish tacos social mm. distance it out there's so many things to factor into every decision yep all the time you have to make and that's even for recording this episode and uh just everything is different everything's different we heard it from all the people on the podcast today from lauren kylan josh and 
our own experience out here recording socially distance in the canoe and the dinner tomorrow night it's just a different time but uh i'm so grateful for these evenings mm. summer out here so fishing walleyes and uh thank you to all the sponsors of today's episode sawbill canoe outfitters uh been supporters of the podcast in season one and just mm-hmm. appreciate everything everybody uh that's contributed and as you said at the top please uh as kylan and josh did just keep sending in your audio keep sending in your your emails we, we love hearing from you on the podcast bwca podcast at gmail.com thanks to all you listeners out there that are doing what you got to do uh getting into the wilderness or your local wild spaces we're rooting for you thanks for rooting for us out here reporting on the edge of the wilderness with the white pine bringing in the walleye. Oh, and those eagles we saw earlier. Eagles. It's the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. There goes, there goes your slip bottle. Oh, oh. Wait, wait for Don't it. Don't screw wait, it up. Count to eight. <laughs> wait, count it actually is. Oh, is it? Oh, did it just go down? Oh, holy smokes. <laughs> well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights oh and in the deep dark blue come the northern light I just sing when I paddle in Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true We're gonna get through to the other side Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar Rule me, rock me in my dreams You can roll me, rock me in my dreams So I like to sing, I love to dance Play the fool if I got the chance All around the campfire light All around the campfire light All around, all around, all around The campfire light